All right, church, so it is uh, June 1st. Our message today is called Embryo Emperors. Embryo Emperors. Jennifer and I and Hans and Al and anybody else we passed along the side of the road uh, went to the river Saturday. We went to a place in New Bronzeville where you can get in the Comal River. And uh, we like it because it's free. You get to just float and... um, we were looking forward to the relaxing time. Anybody in here look forward to something in the summer? Yes. All right, y'all going to have to speak in church. Anybody looking forward to something in the summer? Yes. And while we were floating, and you have to... How many of you have been tubing before? Raise your hands. Okay, when you're tubing, not having a trolling motor, not having an outboard engine, you're kind of at the mercy of the flow of the river, right? Well, that's a good analogy if the river is the Holy Ghost. If it's not the Holy Ghost, if it's a flood of dissipation, if it is a flood of drunkenness, it is difficult. And we got there later than we normally would, and and the the river was drunk. And uh, about halfway down the river, someone decided to shed their clothing. They were not in our group. Um, I mean, other than the skimpy little shorts Judah wears, we were all clothed pretty well. And uh, while we were floating, I've got my eight-year-old little girl and a 30-year-old muscle-bound drunk 20 feet away, completely naked, dancing on the shore, talking about his freedom and throwing his clothes at girls that are floating by and then swimming to get them. And I looked around the river and I noticed that there were probably about 100 people and that's convenient for percentages. And I remembered that our country is supposed to be something like 75% Christian. And then I wondered, how is it that we can have nearly 100 people here and not one who is willing to speak out and say something is wrong? Not one who is willing to tell the man to put his clothes on. He's acting indecently. And I watched men with their girlfriends that were uncomfortable by what was happening try to kind of paddle their tube so that they're not seeing what's happening. But this poor joker was on both banks. He was, he was really proud. I wondered, why, uh, why doesn't anybody say anything? And it began to grow in me. And so I said, I'm going to say something. That surprises you, huh? I said, hey, buddy, why don't you put on your clothes? This is a public place. We don't want to see that. People began to smile. They all were happy. The guy had some things to say back, so we began to pray in the Holy Ghost, not wanting to be in an assault and battery situation, just wanting to float down a river. And as we rounded the corner... The demonic horde began to mock, mock us, mock our children. What are children doing on the river at 7 o'clock? They should be home sleeping. They should, the people should be able to be naked if they want to be naked. The profanities that were leveled in our direction were extraordinary. And this is a sleepy little Texas town. And a hundred people, and only one, that thought it was indecent enough to say something about it. And I realized this is the state of the church. So I came back home, and while I was on my way back home, I got a text, and it was a text from a brother in the church with a link to an article, and I found out our mayor of Houston, Anise Parker, 
passed what she called the most meaningful legislation to her personally that has been passed. She said it's not the most important thing she would do as a mayor, but it was the most personally meaningful that she could pass. And it was a non-discrimination policy regarding bathroom use so that people with the wrong parts can go into the wrong bathroom without being discriminated against. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're an employer in the city of Houston and you employ 15 or more people and you put a sign on a bathroom that says men only and somebody goes in that is a woman and you say something about it, you can be fined $5,000. If you are a health club with an open shower and you walk into the ladies' shower rooms and there is someone in there that would not have been in there last week and there's a complaint, you can be fined $5,000. Think about the times that we're living in. As I look around and I see some of the gray hair in the room, I can't help but wonder if during your father's time there would not have been a war over something like this. We literally live in an age where people like Mr. Potato Man can cut off and put on parts and feel themselves discriminated against for not being allowed to go into restrooms of the opposite sex. And don't even get me started about the door that this brings for pedophiles. Of course, it was last month that I saw an article about a hospital in the UK. Not dissimilar to hospitals in the United States. And they had documented that they had 15,000 abortions at the hospital and or miscarriages. And when they discarded of what they called human waste, meaning the bodies of the children, they used the heat from the fire to heat their boiler system for their hospital. Life's never been so disposable, saints. Life's never been quite so cheap. We didn't have this kind of barbarism 2,000 years ago. When they burned their children in the fire to Molech, they didn't warm their hands over it. And you have to wonder, is it possible that we could have what we term mega churches? That we could have super Christians and super apostles and be so silent about these things? It's in every forum. Yesterday, a man was released who had been imprisoned in Afghanistan as a prisoner of war for more than four years. Did you even know? I didn't. We had prisoners of war in Afghanistan, and we didn't do anything? Well, sure, we're also willing to watch pastors be imprisoned in other countries, and women sentenced to death for simply being a Christian, and we say nothing. How is it possible that we could live with ourselves? I saw a Time magazine cover that really takes us to the point. I'm going to let you look at it while I read you a scripture. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I was reflecting on a conversation I had when I was still in the medical community. A man had wanted a child. And boy, I applaud that. And he and his wife had trouble. So they went to a fertility specialist as a part of the procedure. They fertilized many of her eggs. And then they put several that they thought would stand the best chance of being viable back into the mother. And she had a single child. And they were so excited for their child. And I was excited for them. They were not Christians and I was trying to witness to them. I mean, they thought they were Christians because they were Americans. And now three years had gone by and he said, I need to talk to you. I have a moral dilemma. I said, a moral dilemma? What's going on? He said, well, see, the thing is, is they fertilize lots and lots of eggs. And I have to pay a fee every month to keep those eggs alive and viable. And we just don't know if we want to pay that fee anymore. Is that really a moral dilemma? Or is it a small financial inconvenience? And I began to think, I said, hey, Chris, where, uh, where do you keep? fertilized eggs. Oh, there's a cryogenic facility. This is what our churches have become. There's the spark of life. There's a fertilized egg and they're frozen somewhere in some storage container. But they don't mature. They don't grow. They don't become the kind of voices that change the world. They're not full of the same spirit that Elijah had that faced down kings. There is in this country a spirit of apathy and cowardice. And we think that our affluence and our success makes us popular in God's eyes. This article is about that very thing. And what you see represented on the far left near the palm, about the place they put the nail in Jesus, is a fertilized egg that has become an embryo. I might call it a baby. And then you see the stages of growth going on there. I've noticed with the babies that are are in our church now and the women that are pregnant and those who are due that every week you're looking and you're excited and you can't wait. You're like, oh, look, he's the size of a peanut. I think I felt a flutter. And every week some of you even have apps on your phone and you're looking to see what's developed. This Oh, look, he got all his fingers. and, And I applaud it. When Jennifer was pregnant the first time, I read an entire obstetrics book just because I wanted to be informed. But in our spiritual life, did we chart growth or did we simply say there was the spark of life done deal? In John 1 and verse 12, we are spoken of in the same kind of way as an embryo. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become fully grown, mature adults with God. That's not what it says, is it? Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. I'm simply saying that the presence of God in your life as you believe is the spark of life. 
You're like a spiritual embryo and you're growing to the place of birth and then pressing on to a place of maturity. And in America, the reason that we can have transgender bathrooms now The reason that we can float down a river and some guy torture my whole family with his nakedness is because we've settled for embryo status. And we've acted as if we've reached the finish line simply by being conceived. Never mind development. Never mind maturing. Never mind pressing in to the things of God and working for Him. I was born again and I'll be happy to be a doorkeeper in the house of heaven. Oh, I better never hear you say that. You might as well put a big sticker on your head that says, I am a pitiable coward in danger of losing my salvation. I'm not looking for the minimum, but this is the problem. Is It's a minimalist salvation. If we see a spark of life, then we say it is simply a done deal. In John 3, 5 through 7, we get an acknowledgement of two kinds of birth. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You were born one time naturally. Somebody carried you. Somebody insulated you. Somebody fed you. Somebody cared for you. And at some point, you were expected to care for yourself. You were expected to mature, to develop muscle, to develop intellect, to develop character. If you're over the age of 18 and you still live at home with mama and daddy... It better be for a short period of time while you are figuring out how to carry your own load. If you are 30 years old and you're still living with your parents, move. You shame yourself. Church, we have settled for embryo status. We need to grow up in the things of God. It's not somebody else's job to fight spiritual battles for us. Somebody else's job to feed us, to clothe us, to house us. Somebody else's job to do the work of God for us. We've settled for embryo status. And the terrible, damnable part of it is while it appears easier for a moment, in the end, it's a much worse existence. In John 18, 37... Jesus acknowledges that he was born for a specific purpose. And so are you. Pilate says to him, you are a king then, said Pilate. Oh my goodness, that the world could look at you and know exactly what you are. I wonder how many on the river claimed to be a Christian that day. I know that the old man passing me with a cowboy hat, that ought to be a good sign, right? Good old boy, cowboy hat. Remain silent. I had to wonder... Why did he remain silent? Could it be that he was concerned it might cost him something to speak up for what is right? After I spoke up quietly, politely, he says to me, this generation is really something. To which I responded, it's the fault of pastors in the pulpit. 
It's the fault of weak churches. And we need to stand up and be men of God. And he looked down at the ground and kept on. When did we become so incredibly impotent? What would the generation that won World War II say about us? You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Why did Jesus come into the world? Why was he born? He was born to be a king. What were you born for? We now find it acceptable to be 40 years old and have no idea why we're on the planet. To have brought other people into the world. To have covenanted in marriage and still have no idea what our purpose is. Our purpose is to go to church, sit on our salvation, throw some change in a plate and feel better about ourselves. The commission given to mankind was to be fruitful and multiply God's presence on the earth. To subdue the enemies of God. To rule and reign. Psalm 8 says He crowned us and made us the ruler of the work of His hands. And instead we find fulfillment as intergalactic Xbox assassins. Instead of working for the affection of the King of Kings... We looked to see how many people liked our latest Facebook post. Change our profile picture seven times in a day because we're addicted to people telling us that we're good looking. In 1 John 5, starting in verse 3, we see a spiritual truth that cannot be denied. This is love for God to obey His commands. And His commands are not... His commands are not... His commands are not... If somebody made them burdensome to you, they misrepresented Him. The first thing God ever said to man after putting him in the garden is you are free to eat. A scripture I like to take literally. Our God is a God who has given His commands to set us free. Not to bind us up. And we have shunned them. And we have pushed them off. And we have ignored them. We claim to know the Bible, but when pressed to quote Obadiah, you can't do it. When asked to quote from Lamentations, you're like, that's in there? Brother asked me a question from the book of Zephaniah the other day and I gave him a three chapter outline in seven minutes and it blessed us both. Another brother sitting with me smiled and goes, I didn't know it was a book. How long can we sit in Christ and remain embryos? Does not the Spirit of God compel us to mature? This is love for God to obey His commands and His commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God. For a few born of God. For a select champion elected to represent us. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. How do men sit silent while another man mocks families and walks on the bank naked? Oh, because we're not overcomers. We're embryos. 
Look and just be glad it's not happening to you. Pass by on the other side of the road. Jesus never had anything to say about something like that, did he? Oh, come on, church. We can't pass by on the other side of the road. This is our watch. It's our time. We were born with a responsibility. Do you think it was only Jeremiah who was knit together in his mother's womb? Is not all life the spark of God? How can we treat it so cheaply? How can we care about it so impotently? In the name of Jesus, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If Jesus is who He said He is, then He has earned your obedience. And as you obey Him and trust Him, as you love Him, you will grow in your faith more and more and more. How do you overcome the world? You overcome the world because as you trust God, trust begets more trust. By the way, what does mistrust produce? Have you ever had a suspicion about someone that turned out to be true? When you have a suspicion about someone that turns out to be true, does it make you more or less suspicious? More. See, a lack of faith produces less in less and less faith. Faith is trust. That's what it is. And the more we trust, the more we're able to trust. We grow to the place where the world cannot produce anything that we cannot overcome. We live in the age of stunted growth. Minimalist salvation. Now we no longer look for fruit that is proof of repentance. Instead, we simply say, did you pray a prayer at an altar? This is like looking at life in a Petri dish as the final product instead of a very rough beginning. Let us look at 1 Corinthians 4. (coughs) We're going to read 8 through 17. While we read this, perhaps we could put the picture on the screen with the baby in the hand. How do you view yourself in Christ? How do you think of yourself? Do you have all you want from the King of Kings? Have you grown to the place where you're happy with your progress? Are you now at a place of arrival? And if not... Where are you? And where do you need to go? Paul was addressing a church with stunted Christians in it. They were stunted because of divisions in the body. They were stunted because of lawsuits among them. They were stunted because of sexually immoral behavior. They were stunted because of a lack of reverence for God's communion. They were stunted for a great many reasons. But he didn't fail to address what could only be called spiritual retardation. In verse 8, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. And that without us, how I wish that you really had become kings. 
so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. And when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answered kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Don't you have to know a man to imitate him? Wouldn't you have to be familiar with his life to know what it was you're imitating? What would it mean to imitate most Christian leaders? To preach a perfectly packaged 59-minute message? A perfectly packaged 40-minute message? To be able to write well? To dress well? To marry a beautiful woman? What would it mean to imitate them? I would like to draw your attention to what the problem was and think about in what way it correlates to us. Paul said, already you had what you wanted. Well, they must not have wanted very much as if as soon as they became Christians, they had all they wanted. Does that sound like a minimalist salvation? This is what it happens when we preach. He will give you help in this life, in heaven in the next. Just pray this prayer and it will all be okay. You have people that show up and say, just give me the minimum. They said, we're already kings. This is like saying I've already arrived at my final goal, even though it's my first day of the race. But don't we teach it and preach it that way? It's true that the angels rejoice in heaven when a sinner turns from his ways. It's true that belief in belief alone makes you a son of God. It is not true that your faith stops there. What happens is we're supposed to grow in our knowledge of God, grow in our reverence and understanding. We're supposed to grow in our relationship with each other. We're supposed to find our voice and our purpose. So let me ask you, Christian... When is the last time your voice made a difference? Did you decide you can't make a difference before you even tried to speak? You may have been deceived into believing that your silence is a protest. I assure you it's not. Instead, it is tacit approval. Well, we just don't agree so we won't participate. You can't not participate in the world. You can be in it and not of it, but you can't not participate. When we remove the godly influence and the godly voice, do you know what happens? You have to wonder whether your nine-year-old little girl can walk into a public restroom without being flashed by some pervert. 
You have to wonder whether your 17-year-old son can shower at the gym without somebody with both sets of parts showering next to them. You say, oh, well, you know, Europe's been unisex for a long time. In Europe, they build things floor to ceiling. There's a lock and a deadbolt on every single stall. Have you seen bathrooms built that way here? I haven't. In Europe, there are full-time attendants in the bathroom all of the time because they have to be. When the godly remain silent, the wicked run without restraint. I tell you what, that young man might have beat me into a little greasy spot on the ground, but I wouldn't be silent for what I believed. The entire crowd could turn on me and maybe it was my very last day to preach, but I was going to preach well. Already wise. How many times have I tried to talk about the deep and precious things of God with someone and they go, oh, I know the Bible, but I want to tell you, I've met very few Americans who know the Bible half as well as they pretend to. And none of them who want to be challenged about their knowledge of the Bible. Oh, I know what it says. Really? Outline the book of Obadiah for me. Oh, I I know what it... You know what we know? We know enough to be an embryo. We can quote John 3.16, maybe. Not live it not understand it, not know what John 3.17 is, but we're good, you know. I got my pass. Church, this won't work. It won't work. How long would you expect that baby to stay that size before you considered it dead? The great debate in Christianity today is, was it ever a baby or not? Was the person really saved or did they never get born again? What difference does it make if what we're looking at is death? Church, we've got to grow. We have to grow up in the things of God. Already strong. This is every time someone says, oh, oh, I can handle it. Really, what in your track record has shown you can handle it? Every drunk I ever grew up with could handle it just fine. Of course, until they wrap their car around someone. Oh, I, I can handle it. This is embryo status. You don't even know what you can't handle. Because there's no conviction of God in your life. I'm going to tell you the strongest people I know are the ones that know they can't handle things. So they don't expose themselves to it. Already honored, Paul said. This is the anthem of America, isn't it? Already honored. In what way? (laughs) Hey man, how are you doing with the Lord? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Just fine. What does just fine mean? Does it mean that you memorized the five books of Moses? What does just fine mean? Does it mean you had an open vision last week so you're good this week? What does just fine mean? You know what just fine means to America? I attend church about once, maybe twice in a month. Occasionally I tithe. And that's about all my pastor expects of me. Already honored. What happened to fighting the fight of faith? What happened for laboring for Christ to be formed in us? What happens about a broken-hearted hurting over the lost? A travailing prayer about what we see going on. Does it bother you that we have a homosexual for a mayor 
and that her most personally meaningful legislation she's ever passed puts my children at risk, it bothers me. It grieved me to the point where I can't sleep last night. It bothers me. I have to wonder. I know there are churches inside of Houston with more than 15 employees, which means the law applies to them. Does that mean that this morning there's a male in the female bathroom naked? And if so, what will they do? I know of one or two that will not rock the boat. I pray they find repentance even as I pray we find repentance. It's time to rock the boat. This nation was founded on a certain kind of civil unrest. We got upset when we were not represented, but we were being taxed and oppressed. We got upset over injustice and determined that God Himself had called us to form a new nation. I'm not looking for a natural revolution, but we surely need a spiritual one. It's time to be upset. It's been getting darker and darker and darker, and the problem is our eyes have simply become accustomed to it. If you could roll back the clock a hundred years, you would be blinded by the light of a Charles Finney. You would be blinded by a William Booth. You would be blinded at how brightly they shone. How they stood up for the gospel of God. And then we would probably shrink into a corner for shame. Give me the minimum. I've already obtained the goal. I already know all that. I can handle it. I'm doing just fine. It's almost as if 1 Corinthians 4 could have been written to the American church. Ask me one more time why all the miracles are happening in other places. Ask me one more time why it is that every time I leave this country we see amazing outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Ask me again why why I'm preaching demons flee. Why we put our hands on people, bones grow out. But we're not seeing it here. This is the answer to your question. We hold the meeting in India. They tear their clothes and fall on the ground upset because their teenagers are holding hands in public and they know what it leads to. But here, the church doesn't even become concerned when we have co-ed showers. Church, I responded to the link to this article with one sentence to my friend. It looks like I will soon be arrested. Perhaps you should consider that as well. Or we can just float down the river happy it hadn't happened to us. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, would you? While I read to you Ephesians 4, let's put our growth chart on the screen. I've preached well over a thousand messages I bet not 1% of them have visual aids. You can tell how deeply motivated I was at 5 a.m. this morning to find for you graphs, anything that I could that I thought might make an impression because the truth is, is if enough of us stand by silently, you're going to see depravity and immorality in our lifetimes that rivals anything Sodom and Gomorrah ever produced. You're going to see it. 
Men like David Wilkerson stood up in the 70s and they prophesied about wicked movies being played on television sets and homes and nobody believed it. Because at that time you had to go to a, a shady theater somewhere. Just a few years later, it was being piped into any home that wanted it via satellite. We've done a poor job of predicting how bad it's going to get and how fast. And I'm saying if now this is not a big enough slap in the face to wake up, then what would be? Are you in Ephesians 4? Here's Ephesians 4 starting in verse 11. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. How many did He give to the church? He gave five-fold ministry. Friends, we have a five-fold failure. When's the last time you're in a church and you could clearly see five men working for the benefit of the church? Five men who had distinctive gifts, who had distinctive abilities, and yet they worked with one common goal. I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, He's building it here or we will die trying. But we lift up one superstar, one man with all of the answers, one hero. And everybody else just pays their church tax, does their hour of internment, and moves on. He gave us a five-fold ministry. And there was a reason He gave it. To prepare God's people for works of service. Who is supposed to be being prepared for works of service? God's people. It is the job of the leadership in the church not to do everything for someone, not to allow themselves to be exalted and worshipped. It is our job to prepare you for your work. So what does it say about the church leaders if the congregation is full of embryos? They failed in their job. I know people that are great at raising children. They're terrible at producing adults. Saw a 26-year-old man do something that he should have been in prison for. And the mama's response is, oh, my baby, that is your problem, lady. And pastors do the same thing. Somebody's been born again 20 years, but you expect so little of them. A normal growth chart starts with crawling, ends up with with something that can stand on its own two feet and ought to end up with a fully autonomous, powerful human being filled with purpose that could look at Pilate and say, for this purpose, I came into the world. Let me ask you, do you know your purpose? It'll help you figure out whether you're at the right side of the growth chart or the left side of the growth chart. So, well, I'm working on it. I'm fine with that. But don't let I'm working on it stretch into decades. We only have so many. There's too much work of God being done by too few people while too many sit on their salvation. Guys, this is our watch. It's our time. It's our time. Some courageous people from our church went to go do pro-life ministry last week. Seven people got on a bus. And when they saw life inside of them, 
90% of the people will not kill a baby that they can see. Maybe this is why pastors have spent so much time keeping themselves away from the sheep. You don't care whether they live or die. But if you smell like sheep, if you live with the sheep, if you're around the sheep all of the time, I care whether or not you succeed. In fact, my report card is your life. And Paul said that himself. We've got to find our voice. We have to grow up. We can't sit back and wait for someone else to do it. The fivefold ministry was given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become... What are you supposed to become? It was not six months ago I looked at a man and said, My God, you're balding. How long can we talk about this? You've reached the place of hair loss. And we're still talking about childish things. So, well, pastor, that's harsh. What would it take? How many years can go by? We have to press into maturity. I want to talk to you a little bit about pressing into maturity. Is that okay with you? I have a burden for this country. I have a burden for this city. And I have a burden for the lives in here that love the Lord. And with all my heart, I'm not going to stop until that burden feels some release. Because tonight, I'm going to sleep well knowing that I found my voice. Are you in Luke 19? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. It's not very often that in the New Testament we teach a shadow and type, but this is definitely a shadow and type. Jericho was the city that represented the world at large. It was the first in the promised land that they had to conquest. And the way that they had victory over Jericho was not through superior military might. It was by superior obedience. They did exactly what God said to do, no matter how silly it seemed. And in the end, their trust for God crushed the opposition of the world. Jesus had entered Jericho and was passing through. The presence of God passes through this earth. Say, no, Eric, God is everywhere. Yes, I understand. But in your life, you only have so many brushes with Him. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. He was an American. He had all he needed. He had all he wanted. It was okay with him if he took it from somebody else because it was his way. To say he was a chief tax collector is like saying he was the chief of sinners in the language of the day. And wealthy. What is it for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God? It's hard. What picture are we painting? Jesus is passing through. And he was looking to save sinners and looking for the worst. You know why he loves to save the worst kinds of men? Because they're grateful. Because those that have been forgiven much love much. You know why I can't stay silent on the river? Because I did everything that guy did and more. And I'm ashamed. And I cannot stand by and watch decent people subjected to it. I don't want any more guilt on my hands. I don't want my little girl to have to hang her head just being in public trying to enjoy something God made. I said, but there could be a cost. 
We're supposed to be dead in Christ already. When did we develop such yellow streaks? Do your neighbors know how much you love Jesus? Do the people around you at work know how much you love Jesus? And if they do, did you rely on the witness of your Christian bumper sticker or t-shirt? Or did the words come out of your mouth? God did not appoint clothing to be the witness to the world. He did not appoint a bumper sticker. He appointed you. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. He's vertically challenged. He can't see Jesus, but he wants to. Do you have shortcomings? Do you not remember the word well? Do you not have a great comprehension? Do you not speak well? Do you feel uneducated? I don't know what your shortcoming is, but I'm going to ask you, do you want to see Jesus? Because this chief of sinners wanted to see him. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. This kind of perseverance is something that God will honor. He didn't let his occupation hold him back. He didn't let his wealth hold him back. He didn't let his height hold him back. He used whatever he could find because he wanted to see Jesus. Are you using everything at your disposal? Or has God put everything at your disposal and you use none of it for him? Somebody brought a box of sausage to my house yesterday. We're not poor. We're trusting. But occasionally the P. Rose and the Stevens don't know where our groceries are going to come from. And around the first of every month, it gets really interesting. I cooked our last piece of sausage yesterday and had house guests and then more house guests and then a few more house guests. And I had that thought, what will be there tomorrow? The last house guest to walk through the door bought 12 pounds of sausage. Tell me our God, an Italian sausage, spicy sausage, good sausage. (laughs) The Lord loves us. And He's just looking for you to use what He put at your disposal. And when we hold back and we don't, what we're saying is we don't trust you. We don't trust you. You're not as good as people say you are. I haven't found you to be trustworthy. I trust myself. That's really what our actions are shouting. A sycamore fig tree is not good for anything. It's really not. If you want to eat a fig from a sycamore fig tree, you have to cut all the way around the fruit. And if you cut all the way around it and you remove the waxy cap, Then the figs will bud. What a sign of the religious heart. It's not good for anything. It might provide a little ladder for you to stand up on to see. But it's not really till a heart is circumcised that you have an encounter with God. When Jesus reached the spot, look at your neighbor, say, reach the spot. spot. Oh, say it again. They didn't hear you. Reach the spot. 
when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Little Zacchaeus must have climbed pretty high if Jesus had to look up to him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus went as far as he could. And you know what? He couldn't do a thing to change his shortness. But he went as far as human effort could take him. And then the voice of God entered his heart. Now he has a choice. Do I stay a short man in every sense of the word? Or do I walk out of here a step taller because I've obeyed God? Oh, what an important question. Because you're going to have a choice of how you leave here today. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Do you hear how the king of kings talked in terms of God's will? He didn't say, I have a choice where I want to stay today. He didn't say, if the weather's favorable, I'll stay there today. He said, I must stay at your house today. See, Jesus lived to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was to save the Zacchaeuses of the world. Anybody who was willing to try, anybody who had climbed what was around them, anybody who yearned enough to do something, God would draw near to him. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Did Zacchaeus sit and think about it? Did Zacchaeus say, you know, seeing you was enough. I'm good right here in my little tree. I got my holiness perch over here. My little steeple and stained glass. He followed Jesus. You want to know what it is to mature? It's every time the Lord speaks to you and you're obedient. You just took a step from crawling towards walking. One day you'll even strengthen your feeble knees and run. I don't know very many people who I say are running a good race, though. I know a few who are walking it. Know a few who are crawling it and talking about the days when they did run it. Most of the people that I know that are running a good race are running because they didn't have a choice. They were in a place where they were poor and they had to be rich in faith. We're carrying way too much stuff to really run it. Got more than one change of clothes? Got more than a week's groceries at home? Got more than one car? Good Lord, how many, how many tools in your house do you have just to cut your grass? It's hard to run a race carrying so much stuff, isn't it? We're pretty sure that our great American evangelists are going to be the ones that are greatly rewarded in the heavens. And I'm pretty sure it's brown-skinned, barefooted people all around the world that are advancing the gospel at a furious pace because there's nothing weighing them down. They're rich in every sense of the word. It's us who should be pitied. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? I don't think they'd mutter anymore. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Numbers 5 in the 7th verse teaches you if you've wronged your brother, you pay it back plus 20%. Zacchaeus would have known that. But he paid back four times. He was concerned about the reputation of his God. 
I'm more concerned when I hear wickedness around me and I remain silent that somebody will think God approves of it that I'm worried about what happens to me if I say, hey, that's wicked. Are you concerned about the reputation of your God at all? Listen, Islam is a retrograde, wicked force. It is the spirit of the Antichrist and it is spreading on the globe at a frightening pace. But you know one of the things that really aids its movement? The wickedness of the one nation on the planet that was called the Christian nation and is now no longer. It's very hard to hold the moral high ground when the nation that was supposed to be founded on Judeo-Christian ethics now has Mr. Potato Man bathrooms. Anything goes. And people can walk up and down the banks of rivers naked in the backyards of people and nobody has the courage to say anything. If we had all been the weakest, frailest voices on the planet, surely if 20 of us banded together, we would have formed a majority, right? But you can't even find two anymore. I hope this morning we find our courage. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. I want you to notice something. Jesus just now considers him born. Have you done as much as he's done? Jesus just now considers him born again. What have we done with our standards? I'm not going to read them to you, but I'd like to tell you that 1 Samuel 2.21 says Samuel grew up in the presence of God. He grew in the presence of God. You want to talk about miracle grow? Live for the presence of God and your spiritual stature will change every day. I have watched men who were illiterate become amazing intellects just by the Word of God. I've seen men who were full of perversion and violence become feeders of widows and orphans and the hands and feet of God. Men who were excelled in doing nothing except drinking learned to lead others in the presence of God. Living for the presence of God will change your spiritual stature. In Colossians 1, could we show that picture of the man with the ruler? I'd like to tell you that a lot of people look at Zacchaeus and say, oh, Zacchaeus is just short. And we have a solution for that in America. We simply change the height of the ruler. We no longer bring men up to the standard. We bring the standard down to men. We no longer preach the entirety of the gospel. Even churches that call themselves full gospel have made the gospel three or four steps and no more. We brought the top down to the bottom so that we're all equally pathetic. But Zacchaeus knew to come to Jesus, he'd have to climb to new heights. He knew that it would take obedience. He knew that it would mean he had to thoroughly change. And he started by giving back four times what he had stolen. Dear God, by those kind of standards, would any of you have any wealth? In Colossians... 
the first chapter and the fifth verse. I want you to know something about our gospel. In this minimalist day of salvation, listen to these words. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all of its truth, the gospel becomes larger to the Christian over time, not smaller. One way I know when I've met an embryo emperor is to him the gospel is a very simple, small thing. We reduce it to something like a prayer at an altar. That is both the finish line and the starting line. That is the end all be all. In fact, let's add one more thing to it. Write your name down so I can send it to our headquarters in Springfield and talk about what we're doing for God. But when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said that the gospel was bearing fruit and what? Growing, expanding. Say, oh, well, that just means the spread of the gospel. Then what does it mean to say just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it? It means that the gospel was pervasive. It was taking over new areas of their life all day, every day. It was expanding like yeast through the whole loaf. Is the gospel a tiny, small thing, a check in a box for you? Or is the gospel all-encompassing, enveloping every decision, enveloping every asset, enveloping every thought, even the attitudes of your heart? Because that will give you a good clue as to whether you're an embryo, crawling, walking, or running. The natural state of faith is growth. Trust is going to lead to more trust. In 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3, it says it this way, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is... Well, let me ask you something, because we got some serious Christians in here, and some of you at this point might even feel a little beat up. Can you honestly say you're further along in the kingdom this month than last? If you can, then you're growing. If this month you cannot say you're further than last month, then you're at best stagnant. And if you are further behind than you were last month, you are regressing. The kingdom is growing. Are you growing with it? Or have we settled for a minimum? Have we said, oh, I've done enough. Let me rest on my laurels. I mean, I really taxed myself with that last prayer, you know. Have you settled into a religious rut? Are you flexing that muscle of faith? See, trust begets more trust. When you give away all you have and you see God come through for you, it's not as hard to give it away the next time. When you face giant after giant... The giant seems smaller because your spiritual stature is growing. Wednesday, Michael's message was excellent. Working for your glory or are you working for his? It's a crown that he crowns you with, but your job is to give it back to him with an increase. Are you really increasing? 
I love the message that Alex spoke because I do. I see lambs becoming lions. I've been watching Alex swing the sword of the word of God and I see that he's getting taller. Church, this is how we're supposed to be. Getting taller. The stunting of growth is not hard to define. It's not hard to see. It's not hard to even know how it's happening. With a single verse, you can find all that you need to stunt growth. Look at Luke 8 and 14. The seed that fell among thorns stand for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not... Well, let us think deeply and engage this text. Why do we have a nation full of embryos? Well, we have divided loyalties in our field. We have other things growing next to our faith. What kind of things? Well, the first one is life's worries. When you're challenged to do something for the Lord, the first thought that tries to grow in the very same soil is what will happen to me if I obey. Tell me I'm lying. If I meet the needs of one of those orphans, how is that going to affect me? But let me ask you, shouldn't we rather ask how's it going to affect him if I don't? Isn't that the better question? Isn't that the Christ question? Isn't that the Philippians 2 attitude of Christ? Did he count the cost and decide it was too high to help you? Or did he give his life to help you? Do you want to grow in Christ? We have to put away these life worries. You do that by dying to this world. If anyone wants to be in Christ, anyone, he must take up his cross and follow me, Jesus said. How about riches? If I can't provide for me, then who will? As if it was ever your job to provide for you. How about the flowers outside? Are they providing for themselves? The trees, are they providing for themselves? It's not your job to provide for you. It's your job to be obedient. That's your job. I'm scared to say that to some of you because there's a few in here that have excelled at never providing for yourself. Being obedient will provide for you. For instance, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. Why don't you say that with me? If you don't work, if you don't work, But we have program after program to feed those who don't work. We have relative after relative to bail out those who don't work. But the Bible says you don't work. Did you know you have to be 60 years old or older and female and have a reputation for washing the feet of the saints to have someone else provide for you? Did you know that Paul laid that down as an absolute for Timothy? Can you say that 60 years old in the first century was older than 60 years old today? Straighten up, young men. Get jobs. Keep them. Get some calluses on your hands. The kingdom of God needs your obedience. 
Christians don't grow up in their faith because Jesus is not truly on an ongoing daily basis exalted as Lord in their lives. Which raises the questions, are they really Christians? Some would say no. They never were Christians. Others would say that they were Christians and fell away. But what if they were just embryos with life intended to grow into maturity? And they aborted their growth by declaring themselves emperors of their own lives and rejecting their king. Have Paul's words ever been more applicable? Ever. He said to the Galatian church in Galatians 4.19, My dear... What's the word? My dear... For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I am perplexed about you, he said. What was perplexing? Christ was not being formed in the people. They had stopped with a minimum rather than working for the full measure of Christ. They had stopped at the smallest step. Tell me that that's not what we've done. Stop at the smallest step. What is the very first step in Christ? We believe on the Son. That's not the last step, though. When we pray and say we're Christians, and we become excited we're born again, but five years into being born again, we don't know who Cornelius is. We haven't been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Five years into being born again, we have never read Huge portions of the Bible. How can we say Christ is fully formed in us when we don't know what it is to sing a single soul saved through your personal ministry? How can we say Christ is formed in us? See, we have a responsibility. He called every one of us to be His ambassadors. Do you really think he's not interested in saving people? Do you really think he's not interested in seeing them filled with the Holy Ghost? Do you breathe a sigh of relief if Michael shows up at a meeting where somebody needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Do you go, praise God, Nick's here? Or do you see it as your responsibility as an ambassador for the king? Are you looking for the opportunity to get one of your brothers in the room with somebody that you work with so that they can witness for you when you work next to them every day? How is that not embryo faith? So, oh, well, we all have different callings. None of you are exempt from that one. Say with me, I'm going to bring somebody to church, Pastor. Say it again. I'm going to bring somebody to church, Pastor. And they're going to see church in me every day. Church, you cannot sit back and wait for me to do it. You cannot sit back and wait for your leaders to do it. Our job is to see you prepared to do this. Growth in the Christian's life occurs in some very simple ways. I know. Your butt clock is going off right now. It's time to go, Pastor. It's almost 12.30. Do you really want to leave being called an embryo, not knowing how to get to maturity? Here comes maturity. 
Growth in your life, faith, and growth in the kingdom of God in general arise out of four things. These would be so easy to list. And maybe you can list them now. But if we took a detail of your activities in a week, would they be listed in the top four? The first one is prayer. Listen to this from Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer. Come on, wrestling in prayer. Could you describe your prayer life as a wrestling match? That doesn't sound like now I lay me down to sleep. Or, Or my other least favorite one. Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Can you show me that in a Bible anywhere? Especially when you're praying over Taco Bell. You don't need to bless the food to the nourishment of your body. It either will or will not nourish your body based on its content. You know what you need to do? Thank God for giving you the food. There's a lot of people that don't have it. You will never find a scriptural passage to bless food to the nourishment of your body. And yet that's the way we all pray. Why? Because it's how dad prayed. You wrestle in prayer? Or is that the extent of your prayer life? Wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God. Not part of it, all of it. Mature and fully assured. You know the really exciting thing? If you watch natural growth, you can see what spiritual growth should do. There's a stage. Come here, Abby. There's a stage when you are just the king's kid. And he so loves you and you love him. You like to dance. You like to worship. Oh, my goodness. And it's an innocence. It's before self-consciousness. It's before insecurity. It's before maturity. It's just you love daddy and he loves you. Come here, Gabriel. You reach a stage where you're now being expected more. And the pressure of that development is hard for you. People look at you and they no longer expect nothing from you. They start to expect something out of you. And it causes some self-confidence issues. It causes all the things that anybody that remembers 7th and 8th grade. It causes that. But then stand up, Judah. At some point as adolescence is starting to come to an end, you get really excited that you're as big as other men. You get really excited that you're as strong as other men. Come on, daddies, am I telling the truth? You might even look for chances to test yourself against other men and measure yourself against other men because you fought all your life to get to maturity. What would it look like for spiritual maturity? You cannot be spiritually mature sitting back just going, oh, I just love daddy and that's pretty well all there is. That is not maturity. That's at best infancy. Your love for daddy and daddy's love for you doesn't change from Abby all the way to Judah. But the expectations of your daily activities do. God expects something of you. 
Do you know that? Do you want to meet his expectations? Did you know the Bible says find out what pleases him? The Bible tells you to live a life worthy of the high calling. You want to grow your life? You need to learn to wrestle in prayer. You know why we don't wrestle in prayer very much? We don't have anything to wrestle about. We're not that concerned with the things around us. And we've insulated. I tell you what, you don't have food for about four days. In the fifth day, you start praying. What happens tomorrow if you lost your job, both cars broke down, and all your friends quit returning your call? I bet your prayer life will get right. We learn to wrestle in prayer when we have great needs. Prayer will build your life. Leonard Ravenhill said you can tell the stature of a man in his prayer closet. And he was so right. In Hebrews 5.14, the next thing that builds a Christian's life. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What is constant use? It's the Word of God. This chapter is about the Word of God. You want to grow spiritually? You need to learn the Word. Quit settling for tribal knowledge. I'm going to tell you the truth. If your Bible was taken from you today... A month from now, what would you know authoritatively, authentically, could not be denied? I am positive it's God's Word. See, you've never been threatened with your Bibles being taken away, so it's not that important. But I'm going to tell you, the tide is changing in this country. You want to grow? You need to get confident in prayer. Confident in the Word of God. Well, doesn't it say something like, put that kind of childish baby talk out of your life and know what it says. Ephesians 4 is the third component. It is real discipleship. Ephesians 4, we read earlier and it's worth saying again, Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God never intended for you to stay a baby seed in His hand. He intended for you to be a living, breathing representation of Christ. A fully grown Christ. Not an 8 pound, 11 ounce, golden baby diaper Jesus. A full grown Jesus. He intended you to grow to that measure. Can you say that we're all short? But Zacchaeus aimed even above Jesus' head, didn't he? He climbed to the place where Jesus looked up at him. Now, you can never grow above Jesus. We know that. But it says something for the man's effort, doesn't it? If I would ask you what your goal was for the year prior to this message, would any of you have said to develop a wrestling prayer life, a commanding knowledge of the Word of God, 
to actually be discipled in the biblical sense? Interestingly enough, there's a few families that this is exactly what's going on in your heart. Needless to say, in 10 years, 5 years, 2 years, they will have outpaced people that have been in the kingdom decades before them. And everybody will act like it's just somehow supernaturally happened. It happened according to their desire to mature. The very last thing that I wanted to share with you is the fourth one. Nothing will grow a man like a trial. Can we put that chart on the screen? The trial comes straight out of James, the first chapter, the second through the fifth verse. You want to turn there with me, and it is our last scripture for the day. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The goal for the Christian life is to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is only one way to get there. You have to be put to the test. And when you're put to the test, it's assaulting to your faith. But the more you trust God, the more trust grows out of your life. A trial tests your faith. And as you develop perseverance, maturity is the result. And when you're mature, you're complete. You want to know why we have an embryo emperor church? Why our nation is full of infant Christians? We've insulated ourselves from all testing. We don't really disciple. We use words like mentoring and coaching. We don't even like the Bible words. We don't really disciple. We don't really expect people to know the word. Proof of it is we put it up on screens for you. Don't even bring your Bible. We don't want to offend you by telling you you should bring a Bible. We don't really expect you to pray. We expect you to call us and tell us what we should pray for for you. It's a consumer mentality. It says, I paid my tithe, now do everything for me. I don't know whether you paid your tithe or not, and I don't care. I care whether or not you are growing. I care whether or not at the end of this year you are further along than you were at the beginning of the year. I don't think your life's going to be measured in what you gave away. I think your life could be measured in what you kept for yourself, and that is a frightening thing for me. Church, I'm disappointed in what I see going on in the world around us. But I'm encouraged in what I see working in some of you. You know when a happy day for a parent is? You can look at Charlie and Joe. You can look at Steve and Dee Dee. You can look at Bosch and Natalie. You can look at any set of parents. They love when one kid's doing well. That's fantastic. But if there's one child in the house not doing well, a mama will not sleep right. Long time after they leave the house, still. We have got some superstars growing out of this group. But we got some others that just ride on the coattails. Just skipping by, coasting. 
And at the end of this, you either will have become what God called you to be, or you will have been around those who did and be more guilty for it. Do you want to rise to be what God called you to be? I'm going to tell you, the body of Christ needs you to. This pastor needs you to. God loves you so much that he'll speak to a young man to drive him from Chicago to here for no particular reason other than he needs to get filled with the Holy Ghost and put on a right track. He loves you so much that he will move a pastor from another church with everything you could possibly want to hear just to make sure you have unlimited accesses, access to the resources you need. He does. He loves you that much. But in the end of it, he wants a return on his investment. If what we are doing now, we are doing for our benefit, then we're as guilty as the churches we preach about. If what we're doing is preparing us to reap a harvest among the nations and to pour out our lives unto death, then it will glorify God in every way. That's my heart's desire. Could you all stand to your feet?